Hi everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. Trevor Strunk, Hagelbond on Twitter, and today I have with us uh, Liz Ryerson, who's someone that I've wanted to have on the show for quite some time, um, at Eliguro, E-L-L-A-G-U-R-O. I'm guessing most of you already know that and are following her, but if not, absolutely an important follow for any number of reasons. Um, been wanting to have you on the show for a while, and uh, we finally found a, a, you know, a really good excuse. Liz, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, uh, I found out that you were, I mean, there's a lot of things you do. You're, you're sort of like, you're an artist, you're a writer, you're a musician. Um, do you work in, do you work in development at all? Are you, are, would you consider yourself a dev at all? A little bit. I mean, I, so I have done, I have done game design stuff before. I made a game called Problematic like several years ago. Um, and I've been meaning to do more of that stuff. So, so yes, I would categorize myself as that. Well, or, or and I've done like, uh, you know, music and sound design for some games, not anything like super well known, but just like a handful of like, you know, little indie projects here and there. But I, I guess nice. the thing that like, uh, most people seem to know me as, um, is like a writer, like a writer. Okay. Um, but, um, which is kind of funny because I, I don't really think that that was <laughs> my intention. It was just like one thing I did among many, but um, I guess it's easy to share and engage uh, with stuff online, you know, via writing. So, so yeah, I kind of got into that. Do you want to know like just background or are you? Oh, I was just curious. I mean, I just wanted people to know who you were, what you were up to. Uh, if you want to share more background, that'd be great. I think like I, uh, this is all leading up to the fact that it just to like, pull the curtain back a second. This is all leading up to the fact that you are also someone who is working, um, the very sort of like recently popularized, um, uh, unionization effort at, uh, GDC. Um, the, the, the sort of like, well, you can describe what GDC is better than I can, but the, um, uh, and, and that's sort of like one of the reasons you're on, but you have this like wealth of, uh, experience too. So I want people to know that like, exactly where you're coming from on this. It's, it's a, it's a very rich context. Yeah. So, okay. Um, 
So yeah, so basically uh, GDC is the Game Developers Conference. It happens in San Francisco every year. You know, it's a big corporate businessy game event. Um, but there are a lot of sort of, you know, uh, basically like everyone, well, I'm not going to say everyone goes. That that sounds really, a lot of people <laughs> of, through various facets of the industry go to GDC. Um, usually not like fans or anything because it's way too expensive an event um, to to do that, but yeah. um, you know, people from different spheres of development. So it's not just like AAA industry. In fact, like probably most people, you know, a vast majority of people who work in AAA have never been to GDC. Um, but uh, a lot of like indie developers go there partly, you know, to make connections, talk to publishers, uh, meet other people who are doing what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you know a lot of game uh, a lot of journalists and writers and everything go obviously um so yeah like so i had been involved before just because like i lived in the bay area just um for for several years and i just had basically connections where i was able to get free passes for you know through one person or another because gdc is exorbitantly yeah and GDC is exorbitantly expensive and like, I don't have money. <laughs> I never really have had money. So, um, so I was really lucky to be able to do that. Um, and you know, I guess this was like my seventh time at GDC in a row. So, you know, it's, it's been kind of a, a thing where there's, there's sort of been cycles already. Um, even though I have, I'm like 30 and I haven't, I don't feel like I've been involved with this stuff for that long, but in the, <laughs> in the <laughs> sphere of like game development, well, I yeah, guess, seven like years I'm, is a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Right. Things have, so many things have changed. Like when I first started uh, getting into it, like, you know, indie game, the movie was being screened and like, <laughs> um, indie games started becoming a thing of like celebrity and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there have been several different sort of movements of that, and so, so I was I was involved kind of like in the the, the queer trans uh, community and this the that sort of sphere, um, and some of that stuff kind of blew up around 2013, like the second year that I went to GDC, and that was the year that also that um, Cart Life, which is a game yeah. about um, you know making a living selling making a living off of running a food cart um, won like many awards, including the grand prize award at the, the independent games uh, festival, which is like the, the main sort of awards for, you know, for independent games. Um, and that was a big deal because this game is about like serious economic issues and it's an intense you know, game. Yeah. It's very intense. Um, really interesting, really cool game and, and definitely something that um, I think stands the test of, you know, will stand the test of time. But I, I think that was like my first, like, um, like glimmer of like, Hey, something is happening here. Mm. Um, you know, there's a potential for something else, but then I don't know, there was a lot of drama and, you know, things regressed with like Gamergate and all of that. Sure. Um, but, um, so I, I kind of was feeling already like, you know, I've been to GDC so many times and, you know, you can only go to so many conferences and like, like this and do a talk and, you know, feel like you, you know, like, you know, do like a, some sort of like Marxist or, or whatever, you know, anti-imperialist 
uh, anti whatever talk and 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 try and blow people's minds or whatever at these things. <laughs> you can only like do so many of that before you realize like okay, you know, I'm just I'm part of the establishment now. Like right, sure. I'm like the person who goes to these things and like you know says some things that people don't want to hear, but that I keep getting invited back anyway. And like you know, like it's. Well, there's a whole ecosystem. I I totally hear you. Like, this is like, this reminds me a lot of what it's like to be um, an academic too. like going to, um, and you know, I, I sort of dropped, I didn't quite make it into the ecosystem enough to feel it as much, but like, you know, you go to MLA if you're an English person and um, you, uh, which is the big English conference and you know, you, you tool around and you go and have lunch with the same people and you, you know, uh, stop in at the same panels and you share the same email addresses. And it's like, okay. Um, after a while you start wondering what you're up to. Like, it's not exactly, um, it's not exactly, you know, uh, um, guerrilla warfare necessarily. Yeah, no, you're, yeah, you're part of the, like at the beginning, it seems like maybe super transgressive or whatever, but the more you sort of come back to these events and make friends with various people, the more you sort of become part of the establishment. And I'm not saying that like, you know, I make a living through Patreon. I don't make a living through, I've had a hell of a time just trying to even, you know, get paid for working on things. So um, I, I've been really lucky to just have Patreon as my, my primary support through this. And also, you know, like for a long time I was just like crashing with people and stuff. So it, I definitely right. made like a lot of sacrifices and it's not super easy, but like the point is like that, I don't know. So, so I, I sort of started feeling more and more like, you know, there was some progress that were made at these events. Like I, I remember seeing like this year I saw way more sort of queer and trans people at GDC, for example, um, nice. than, you know, previously when there weren't very many visible sort of trans game devs out there. Um, I've seen a little bit more racial diversity too, although like I, that the, the industry like still has a long way to go, especially, um, you know, in regards to like, like black game devs and, and stuff like that. Um, but, um, I don't know. So like, but I've been feeling more and more like the, you know, the, the progress or whatever incrementally that I was seeing at like GDC was not, um, really reaching the rest of game culture. And in fact, like, you know, game culture is increasingly became more and more reactionary and conservative. And there's more and more of a rift sort of between those two things. Yeah. And I think like uh, after Gamergate happened at GDC, there were a lot of people from the industry who were like, there's only one or two people who were like, you know, those like kids in their basement, they don't speak to us like game development, game development is an inclusive community and like, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, like, first of all, like, it's not, but like, <laughs> like you know, uh, as we have come to see, but like, um, secondly, I think the, the biggest thing is that, um, like, it's just easy to scapegoat these groups. But the thing is, like, people in the game industry somehow seem to have some sort of cognitive dissonance about the fact that, like, gamers were a thing that they created, <laughs> <laughs> like you know yeah. like game gamer is a marketing demographic like it's not you know it's an identity that exists uh 
is like it exists because the game industry created it to market to it. Oh, and a, a decades long project too. I mean, it's definitely like if you look at. I think one of the things that has struck me as people get more nostalgic for the, um, and it seems like this has happened recently, but very nostalgic for the print ads of the of the '90s, like particularly like the Sega CD ads and stuff like that. Um, a lot of that stuff, like the once it became about the hardware and like you know overclocking and making sure that you had like the most graphically advanced thing, like right around the 32-bit era. Um, I think like you can start to see gamer being developed as a mainstream persona. Um, and of course it was being developed before then as sort of like not a mainstream persona. And it's just, it's fascinating to think about, yeah, this is not something that just cropped up overnight. It's not well, yeah. a natural condition. And the, and the, the game space is something that's like existed uh, a lot on the internet and other spaces that are kind of away from like, major cultural centers of discourse or whatever like games are kind of weird and they're kind of new and it's hard for people to understand them who don't like play them a lot sometimes and the partly because of the game industry sort of hyper marketing to a fairly narrow range of demographics and interests like that's part of the reason why the game in you know like gamer culture is is the way that it is but i that's actually something i talked about like this year i I did like a little talk um where i where i talked about that and basically you know Mm. said in so many words that like you know we (laughs) as part of the game industry are responsible for gamergate and like you know that's something that people don't want to hear i guess but they should um because like yeah i don't know it's it's really really frustrating so anyway like i i think i've been more and more frustrated by these um this event and like um so i i so i i don't have like a lot of background in like organizing or stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm mainly like an artist, but I sort of, you know, have always like followed uh, left politics and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, on the side. And that's like informed, like, you know, art and stuff that I do um, for a long time. But I got more aware of like, I mean, I always knew that like the game industry, you know, has a problem with like exploiting labor and stuff. I mean, that's, I think that's something that like a lot of people know, on a subconscious level or whatever, but like, yeah. But I think one of the things that like woke me uh, or made me more conscious of it was uh, Ian Williams wrote this article in Jacobin in like 2013 called you can sleep here all night, which is actually in one of the zines for, uh, for game workers unite, which I'm about to talk about, but um, it's amazing. Like just, just uh, anecdotally, Ian is a, is a, is a longtime friend of mine too. And uh, it's incredible how often he comes up as someone who radicalizes uh, gamers, Uh, people online. A lot of people I think have sort of a left origin story or not, not a, not even a left origin story, but a current, like where they're at in the left origin story that involves Ian. And that's, always really cool to hear because he's um he's a a very smart guy i I sometimes don't always feel he gets his due yeah totally i mean (laughs) that's kind of how it is with a lot of people like i don't know being in like around the game sphere there are some like you know indie game developers who you know people who are in the know like understand maybe are important but almost everyone else doesn't you know sure right 
So, so maybe Ian is one of those kinds of people when it when it comes to like games and left politics. But I don't know the yeah, the whole thing sense. that yeah, the whole thing that like um, that that you know the reason why it got me was partly because that article is really good at covering a lot of different sort of facets of this issue including um uh well one he, he talks about his own experience working in the industry right uh, which is really important because like i haven't really i mean i know several people who have worked in AAA and various other facets of the industry but like i still really don't have as much insight into that side of it as, um, you know, many other people do. So, um, but the other thing was that um, he talks about the IGDA, which is uh, the International Game Developers Association, and uh, specifically cites uh, something by somebody that I'm friends with, uh, this guy Darius Kazemi, um, who used to be, Darius, like, was, like, a really, like, the definition of, like, an insider. Like, he was at, like, the first indie game jam, which probably doesn't sound like anything, but is actually, like, you know, quote-unquote a big deal. And, like, went to GDC for, like, 10 years and wrote this, like, networking guide for GDC. Like, definitely, like, kind of the definition of an insider. But, so he tried to work for with the IGDA. He was on their board of directors. And then after three years, he quit and he wrote a post on his blog about it, which is also included in one of the, one of the zines uh, for Game Workers Unite, where he says that, like, basically the IGDA did nothing. Like, any kind of sort of pro-worker, any kind of mild pro-worker suggestion that he or anyone else made was always shot down. Mm-hmm. The, you know, they always kept um, hammering in the fact that the IGDA is not a union. It can never be a union. And like their primary goal was essentially the financial like responsibility of the organization. So basically like maintaining the organization's financial stability, which translated to basically doing nothing because anytime that they would make any sort of suggestion in order to improve the lives of workers in the game industry, they would be like, Oh, well, we might offend somebody else who's part of this group. Sure. So we can't do that. So they basically do nothing. And mm. the thing is, like, the thing is that there's nothing. I, I guess the more pernicious, like, part about uh, the IGDA is that, like, they kind of end up sucking in a lot of people's um, who are interested in trying to, uh, trying to change the game industry for the better and finding some sort of community. Um, they suck in a lot of those people who then just kind of their efforts are wasted because the IGDA was never created to be a union. It really serves the interests of the big companies. Like, uh, And there's just no possibility for them to get anything serious or substantial done. And then people burn out. And so it kind of like, it's kind of there so that like AAA companies can say like, well, if you want to unionize, you should join the IGDA. And then when they join the IGDA, um, you know, it might seem like they can do, you know, they can make a difference, but they can't because of the way that the IGDA like was built to function basically. Yeah, it sounds like the IGDA has a lot of inertia behind it, which is, uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense with like a very entrenched and uh, and sort of like wide, I don't know, like a, a sort of like wide focus in terms of who they represent, um, which is bad for labor almost always when there's a, a generalized focus. I mean, this is like, this is why um, you end up with, with um, uh, unions, big unions that seemingly do not represent their constituency anymore in some in some sort of like more traditional industry. So I I totally get that. Um, 
if I'm if I'm understanding you correctly. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's fascinating. I think that's that's really interesting. So how did um, how how did this lead to? Uh, so you've been you've been sort of like you've been mentioning a sort of recent unionization effort, uh, and I'd I'd love for you to pin this down a little bit more for me because I've been trying to follow it. And follow like the history of this here, like sort of like the places things have been brought up and the way that you were introduced to it. This is so, so helpful for me because this um, this unionization effort at GDC um, kind of sprung up out of nowhere. And I think like for a lot of people, it was exciting. And um, for people who weren't there or people who weren't, you know, necessarily the uh not necessarily like the demographic being targeted. Like for instance, me, um, I'm not under the agus of, of this group, which is fine. I mean, unions should have a, an agus. Um, I don't feel left out, but the, uh, um, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of pin down. It's exciting, but nebulous. So, um, can you talk a little bit about what, uh, how that sort of led to, and it could be as long a lens as you want, uh, how that dissatisfaction led to recent uh, developments. Okay, so the so getting go, going back to the IGDA, the whole thing about them is that um, while they are an organization that exists, um, you know, every it's they're international, so there are groups like theoretically everywhere, um, and different chapters sort of function differently presumably, but um, they're also not very well liked, I think, because okay. a lot of people join the IGDA thinking that they can make a difference and then they they try and get involved and they see that like, you know, even their efforts at like diversity and stuff um, outside of maybe, you know, getting a few people, getting a handful of people scholarships or passes to GDC, which I guess is not nothing, but there are other organizations that do that and do that more effectively, especially okay. for, for women in games. Like there's a ton of organizations for women in games, um, like Dames Making Games, uh, Pixels, Montreal, I, I don't know, um, Code Liberation. There's like a billion of them. Um, so, and, and, and those have a more direct uh, focus. Um, and there's also things like game devs of color too, but like, those are all kind of smaller independent organizations, um, that are not affiliated with the IGDA. So anyway, like the IGDA is not particularly popular, but they exist because there hasn't really been a substantial push for unionization in the game industry, partly because people just don't, it's very much like the tech industry. People don't really know what unions are or what they do. Um, there's Mm. this sort of attitude of, um, like that, you know, that you should just be lucky. You should be so lucky to work in the game industry at all because it's doing what you love, which is one of the, yes. the biggest uh, myths uh, about game culture. And that, that's one of the biggest things that's used for exploitation. And the thing is the game industry is growing so much. Like it's grown so much in the last many years that more and more people are getting involved, which means more and more young people, which means uh, there's this attitude, which the IGDA had echoed basically that like your label, your labor is replaceable. You know, if you burn out, you don't like working 60, 80, a hundred hours a week. Um, yeah, you can be replaced. <laughs> yeah. So it's very so much just, like, uh, it's very much like the academic world in that way. Like where uh, a lot of what happens in, in the academy now is based off of the fact that like, yeah, okay. You can totally quit your job if you'd like, like you don't have to do the, you know, four classes that you, that are really difficult to teach and, you know, don't pay really well. Uh, but once you quit, like we're going to definitely find someone instantly that wants to do your job. Cause you know, you should feel privileged just to be a part of it. Um, 
And yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think about that a lot because I remember there was a, um, I'm trying to remember what it was. Do you remember, um, I don't know if you were involved, like if you, did you get a Nintendo Power when you were younger? We're not so um, we're not so off I, in age, which is uh, rare for me because I'm. Yeah, I mean, I, I read it, but I didn't. I didn't get it. I I got like PC gamer and some other stuff. More but, legit. Yeah. Um, I I wasn't really a PC gamer as a kid. Uh, I was much more of a console gamer. Um, but the reason I ask is because Nintendo Power would send out these VHSs uh, sometimes that you could watch, um, and they'd be you know on on various games or whatever. And some of them would, or one of them particularly, focused on um, being a tester. Like basically, like playing video games to test for bugs, which is one of the like worst and most thankless jobs. Yes, yeah, and that's like one of the jobs that Ian talked to me about before, uh, and I think talks about in that article where he 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 was working for a big studio on an MMO, and just like it just is is crushing. It's just like they'll tell you like you'll find a bug, and they'll be like, well, um, you know, do every single instance to see if you can if the bug repeats, and it's just endless. But when you're a kid, you're reading it and you're like, I could get paid money to play video games. Like, I just play video games all day. That sounds great. I'd get to play all the new video games and that's all I do. And that sort of thing, like that sort of, I don't know if that was intentional or not in their part, but it is pernicious where all of a sudden you're like, yeah, what I want is to be a tester and what everyone wants is to be a tester. And if I got it, that's so, so lucky there was and, even a there was a reality show called The Tester. I don't know if you remember really? that. No, um, I don't. That it was on like I think it was on G four or something. I actually met somebody who who uh, was on that reality show who like um, has gone on to work in the industry. But yeah, wow. like that kind that of is myth is, is fed by that stuff. Yeah, and so like I mean I, I totally hear what you're saying. It's it and it makes a lot of sense to me where like it is this. It, it almost seems. Uh, it almost seems like sexy in the uh, starving artist way where like, you know, if you're not struggling to be in the games industry, you're not doing it right on some level, which is uh, super pernicious. Yeah. And I, I guess that's a really important core issue that I guess I want to come back to about delegitimizing suffering. Uh, mm. Really, really important, especially not just when talking about art, but with talking about work in general, but I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. So yeah. like, so because of the the like indie game thing exploding like you know when i got into the game and when i got into games it was in 2009 the economy was like not in very good shape but i had connections into the like game sphere so and some of that stuff had started blowing up so there's this idea that like you know you could make you could you might be lucky and make a bunch of money doing that and of course some people did but most people didn't uh, um so more and more people are coming into indie games uh having those expectations and then realizing um <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> The, the picture of reality is much more bleak. Um, so a lot of people are coming to GDC uh, with who basically have no money and are <laughs> spending money they don't have to come. So there, so there's already a lot of like uh, economic anxiety, especially in the game industry now because of how much stuff is out there. Yeah. AAA games cost too much to make, and then indie games like there's just so much stuff and it's hard to like curate. And it's really just like a handful of things that are making the vast majority of the money um, like, you know, like PUBG or uh, League of Legends or Minecraft or, you know, stuff like that. So, um, so I think that that that's an important background because a lot of people are, you know, even if they don't have the vocabulary, um, even if they think they might think like, 
you know, it's a meritocracy or, or, you know, even people who think like, oh, my job is fine. You know, my boss is nice to me. Um, know that like that can end at any moment. And it often does like you're in a situation where, you know, things are going well and then your company gets bought out or the project ends or whatever. And then you just get laid off without warning and it happens. Right. All, it happens all the time. And that's what ends a lot of people's uh, careers in the industry. Um, the game industry is pretty well known for that and particularly bad when it comes to that. So anyway, um, this is all just background, but like, um, it's important background. I mean, I think like, I, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't worry. Like the, I think a lot of people listening to the show, I know I, um, I'm not always familiar with the ways in which the gaming industry actually works. I remember like hearing about like talking to Scott Benson a couple of times about Night in the Woods and how, you know, they just they put so much time in like unpaid and and like not clearly going to be paid very risky time in making Night in the Woods. And and fortunately, they've they've had a, a very you know serious success with it. But it, it it's hearing about it as an adult. It was just like wow, that's um, the the precarity there is really, I don't know. It's it's scary. It's it's alarming to hear as a, as a fan. It's a common game development story too, especially with indie games like this with Night in the Woods. Um, and like the the sort of background to a lot of the stories and things like indie game the movie, which is not a good movie. Um, <laughs> But like the background to stories is like just like people are willing to go. You know, there are a lot of people who are like, you know, I'll live in my car. You know, I'll be homeless if I oh. if I want. I just just so I can do my dream. And like I was one of those people. I was literally homeless. Like I was sleeping on people's couches just to to follow my dream, quote unquote. Wow. And that's how I was able to live in the Bay Area. Because well, know. yeah. <laughs> how else are you going to live in the Bay Area? Yeah. Um, and, and like people make so many sacrifices and compromises just like that. And that's just so such a normal part of the culture. Like, you know, and also what is normalized is the idea of working yourself to death. Like even with like game jams is, is one. I mean, I think game jams are, are cool in some ways. Game jams are basically like, you know, you make a game with a team or by yourself uh, within the span of usually 48 or like 72 hours. Okay. Um, so it's basically like one big crunch. Yeah. <laughs> um, that can, and that can, to- that can totally be fun and interesting. I mean, like it's sort of like the, um, it's not, uh, NaNoWriMo has so much baggage, but it reminds me of um, like what one web comics artist will do um, hourly comics for an entire day. Or for like a, a, a like a forty eight hour period, and like you know, it'll just be sort of a thing where it's like let's stay up all night and see what we can produce. I think that can be really cool. That could be really productive and interesting. But I get the feeling that this doesn't always end up that way. Yeah, and it normalizes a lot of really bad habits. Like mm. I, I mean, I even think about that. Like I'm teaching a, a class in like game design now. I'm just this is the, my first experience teaching like oh, this, cool. the, this semester. And, and like, even then, like the amount of work that we give the students is like a lot. And I'm, I'm really worried about, you know, normalizing how much work <laughs> that you're supposed to, because making games is hard. And like, especially if you're making it with a small team, there's so many, like people don't, don't think also about like one of the biggest things that, um, you know, they're probably worried about with a game like night in the woods or any game like that is like, First of all, like it's like console certification. Like you have to do a billion ports for a billion different 
systems and they yes. have very specific mm-hmm. requirements that take a really, really long time to, and you know, uh, and, and like if you don't know what a bug or whatever is in a game and it can take a really long time to just figure out what's going on. Um, it's also like just bug fixing and stuff and um, trying to prioritize, you know, what is important and what isn't. And the larger a game is, the more work that is and when you only have a few people working on it it's just it's just insane so i've seen i've seen a lot of people um in the game development sphere sort of you know do their like uh four year five year long passion project only to come out the other end and you know sell like 500 copies or something right and that's like and then that's (laughs) that's what they spent you know and like and it's not even like the game development sphere really awards things that are like artistically adventurous most of the time. <laughs> like it's mostly hostile to that stuff. There really isn't a niche for like for most art games. It's a well, really yeah, small it's, niche. It's still a marketized it landscape, right? Like it's, yeah, it's about totally. what you can sell. So so even if you like spend, you know, uh, four years on your art game, it's it's probably likely that you'll sell nothing. And like I'm glad that that stuff exists, but it, it's such a it's such a horrible um thing it's such a like a you know it's i don't know it's like people buying snake oil trying to think that they can get into this dream of of indie game development and you know uh make it big um but you know for most people it just doesn't doesn't work out for a vast vast majority of people so anyway Mm -hmm. that's all the the background um and they're all like i was you know Partly because of things like this podcast, there's been a kind of an explosion in uh, left-leaning commentary around games, which I think is initially. I think I feel like I had a hard time trying to convince people that games were relevant. Like I wrote this article oh, about. Oh man, I know uh, how you feel. <laughs> yeah, I wrote this article about Duke Nukem in Jacobin, and like I, I most of the responses were positive, but a lot of people thought like I was joking or something. Like they thought it was like a joke, <laughs> or like they were like, "Why is this important?" And like I'm like, I don't know. Having been around GamerGate and seeing how that stuff um, sort of turned into you know the alt right and all that stuff, it, it kind of was obvious to me why it was important and relevant to like our current political landscape, and also like. More and more, like, uh, bit, pieces of culture, like, uh, you know, music and movies and stuff are inaccessible to most people. Like, uh, the, the kind of things that happen in cultural centers, uh, you know, like, everyone talks about the big action movies or whatever that are made in Hollywood and it's not accessible to the average person. But in game development, there are still occasionally games that are made by one person that become extremely successful. Like one of my friends was like friends with the dude who made Undertale. And it was just like a random, you know, it was just like a random thing that like that happened. Um, So the, the game industry has a little bit more of that idea that you can be an outsider and you can be a weirdo and a dork or whatever. And, make some sort of career out of it um there's some sort of like hope or whatever there that exists that doesn't exist in other you know spheres of media i feel like anyway for as somebody who's tried to like you know as somebody who wanted to make films and also like makes music and um i felt like more of an openness and energy around games um yeah, but anyway, entryism in, in a certain way, right? Like, yeah, there's there's not the I mean, film's a perfect example. There's not the the sort of weight of um, a century of, of or a century plus of like 
background and then also not the equipment weight of, okay, well, you need this and you need this education and you need that camera and this particular sort of like set of qualifications. And gaming feels like something that is open to um, amateurism in, in a good way, not in a bad way. It's not so dependent on geographical location either. Good like, point, yeah. You know, you can get into games pretty much wherever because, like, almost all of games media is on the internet. Right. Um, of course, if you, like, want to write for a games publication, you probably have to move to, like, New York or San Francisco or something. <laughs> Somewhere but, around there, yeah. But, but yeah, anyway, so, like, because of that that sort of exploding and just the conversation around unionization exploding, um, I think, like things are just in a certain state where um, I think something was probably bound to happen in some way. Um, But I felt like going to GDC basically um, that, you know, I I felt more and more like kind of, I felt more and more alienated from a lot of aspects of it. Um, And, you know, I was looking through um, just to see what, um, you know, the, the talks and the, the, the panels and all the kind of stuff that was happening at GDC the week before. And I saw this thing with the person who runs the IGDA talking about unions and, you know, do we want unions? If Are they good or are they bad? And I, like, asked people on Twitter, like, you know, what's the deal with this? Is it going to be anti-union like they always are? And, mm-hmm. you know, several people were like, yes. And I was like... <laughs> Um, and I was like, uh, and somebody, somebody else said, well, a lot of, I think it was Scott Benson who said a lot of people were complaining about the IGDA's anti-union stance, which might've led to them, uh, to the, you know, the director of the IGDA doing that round table in the first place, essentially to like, be like, you know, like reaching out or whatever, but in a way that's kind of like, uh, well, you, you think that you want this, but you really don't want this kind of way. Right. Which Um, is the classic sort of like nice anti-unionism uh like oh you know like we hear that you want a union but you know have you thought about it really like let me let me give you the facts which and it's exactly what she ended up doing in that round table but um anyway so um i was like do do people want to you know organize some sort of mini protest of this round table because you know I've, i've been to gdc a billion times like um like i i kind of know what it's like to some extent and i know that like you know there i knew because of being connected through like networks of lefty gamer people um from facebook and other places um there's like a facebook group um that some of us were in Mm -hmm. um like should we do like a you know little protest of this and get a bunch of people show up. So I figured like maybe five or 10 or 15 people would show up or whatever, you know, maybe we do like zines or something. But, um, so, so Scott Benson replied and was like, you know, someone should make buttons. Um, and you know, maybe you want to have like a group DM or something. So I did that. And then I was thinking about like, let's do zines and do literature because people trade zines and like swag all the time at GDC. It's like a really common thing. Yeah. Um, there's this thing uh, that happens at GDC every year or has, you know, become a tradition called Lost Levels, which is kind of this event that it's supposed to be an unconference. It's like unofficially hosted in the park by GDC and it's supposed to be, you know, accessible for people who can't get into GDC but are around, you know, San Francisco or whatever yeah. or who want to just anyone who wants to talk or whatever. Um, That's very And cool. a lot of people, yeah, it's really cool that it exists. Um, it kind of like isn't really officially organized anymore, but it's still 
happens. Um, but yeah, a lot of people trade zines and stuff like around there and other places. So, um, so, so yeah, I was like, let's do that. And then, uh, Emma, who is, um, who is, uh, another person in uh in LA um she well, I live in LA by the way she's um <laughs> how do you like LA was, it's it's all right um that's generally like what I hear from people that it's all right yeah, yeah I like it I used to live in Portland I like LA better than Portland but but anyway um she um she she started a, a discord and so we moved over there and then we started just organizing like a direct action sort of thing and i was like let's do this but it 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 totally exploded like we ended up connecting to a lot of different people and so we just tried to organize um uh you know something like let's just make some zines some literature let's design some stuff let's make sure that we have buttons and and everything and let's distribute them as much as we can and let's just get in contact with as many people as we can. And this all started the week before GDC. Wow. So that like tweet that I had <laughs> had made had like started had gone into all these other ended up being the sort of spark uh that led to a lot of these other things. And a lot of different people were involved uh in making the zines. And um, you know, I tried to get as we tried to get as many people to print out stuff as possible. So we we handed out literature and stuff. And I think, you know, also from Scott Benson doing the, the design of the, the buttons, which ended up being kind of the design of the logo of uh, Game Workers Unite, which is sort of what this group ended up uh, being. Um, we, um, I think that that helped with visibility. Um, but so anyway, like uh, we... We just got a bunch of different people uh, involved in distributing. A lot of people were interested on in Twitter and like, you know, uh, so that happened. And then we got a lot of people interested in coming to the roundtable about unionization that the IGDA was hosting. And um, a ton of people ended up showing up. Um, I actually stayed outside be- for, of it <laughs> because I thought that it was going to fill up. So I was like, I'm going to watch like anyone who shows up who can't get in, you know, and just like talk to them about stuff and, you know, talk to them about what we were doing and all that kind of stuff. But it ended up being in a big room, but, um, still a nice idea. Yeah. Like, but like essentially like the room was overwhelmingly pro union. And I don't think that I, the director of the IGDA was planning on seeing that. Um, and, (laughs) um, because of like, the sort of saturation that we were able to get through the buttons, like Scott made a billion buttons and also the zines. And we made like Emma had made like a billion pamphlet pamphlets and stuff. Um, a lot of people were aware of it and talking about it. And because everyone's at GDC, the press started writing about it too. And yep. it sort of stayed in the press because the IGDA right at the beginning did a bunch of interviews. Cause I think they heard that we were going to be doing this. Um, and, um, <laughs> did a bunch of interviews that did not make them look very good. Like, uh, Jen, Jen McLean had said something. She's the director of the IGDA and she used to be the vice president of Comcast games. Um, oh, that, that, that well-known game company. Yeah. Um, she, um, she had basically said like, um, you know, that like, uh, well, she said basically said something to the, to the effect of like, well, like, 
uh, good luck trying to unionize because uh, your labor your labor is essentially replaceable. Oh no! <laughs> um, I mean, like it, it was. She said it in a, uh, a you know basically like uh, well unionization is really hard in the game industry because there's like. Uh, because it's, you know, it's a growing industry and there are tons of people in line behind you who will replace you. So, so sort of the message is like, well, good luck doing this because you're replaceable. Well, yeah. And Um, and that's just such a, that's such a short sighted thing to say when you have a massive unionization effort that is, uh, right at your doorstep. Because of course they're going to look at that and say like, what she means is. Yes. And I don't think they took it seriously because, you know, it was just a few people uh, really doing the core of the organizing after all. But like it exploded really, really fast. Like uh, the the Twitter account that was uh, that was started, um, I think, got like it was started like the Monday of GDC, which was last week. Um, And yeah. And within that day, I think there were like 2000 followers maybe 3000 it like it, so like 3000 people followed it in a day <laughs> um <laughs> that's a lot of followers for a new account absolutely yeah and i like i i also became very anxious about being like oh i hope we don't grow too fast <laughs> like i hope we don't make too many promises but i don't know overall it's been like a really positive thing and like you know i think i think the fact that we were sort of just oriented towards trying to do something at an event where a lot of people were and you know we did it like just by distributing pamphlets and showing up at the talk and it's like like a lot of us are you know have been part of the <laughs> the system in one way or another so yeah. it's not like you know like we didn't like we didn't need to do like anything super disruptive because like the the really important thing was just to get like the literature out there and start the conversations. And the more people I talked to, almost everyone I talked to was in support of it. Everyone wanted a fucking button or a zine or whatever, like, like almost everyone I talked to at GDC. So like, this is something that has like a broad base of support. It's mm-hmm. just that people aren't very educated on what these things are and how they would actually sort of function. So I, I think it's, you know, it's been a resounding success. It's beyond like my wild expectations. And I'm sure, you know, the expectations of several other people who have been involved with this. Um, I mean, it is fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I think like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, it's just like, it's very cool that one of the things that was so hard for me to wrap my head around with, with the, uh, with the effort was like the idea of just like, it was, I think it was reflected or sort of represented in the press as like unionizing games. And it was just, it was so like, I was like, that's so general. What, what are they unionizing? And it like, it, it was a concern at first. I was like, well, do they have like a, is it, is it not specific enough? Or is it going to get lost? And I really admire that you all stayed general enough to cast a wide net um, to keep people interested, to sort of like open it up to so many people who wanted to learn. Um, it totally makes sense as you're explaining it. And it, it's very, I mean, it's just, it's kind of a brilliant strategy and I'm, you know, I'm not surprised it was so successful, uh, given all of that, like careful thought and planning, which sounds crazy to say (laughs) since it was planned in like a week, but it seems it was very thoughtful and careful. Well, I think a lot of us just are part of like the game development sphere and like know what that's like or know, you know, what what the culture sort of how it speaks and how it thinks of it. Like 
I wrote one of the zines and um, I, I, you know, I heavily used parts of articles from like Ian Williams and, and, and such, but like it, it was very oriented around specifically like game industry, like game and like, like let's talk about passion. Like let's talk about these things because I want to like, you know, I want people in the game industry. Um, there, people are coming from different places and like, hitting them with like the hardcore literature isn't necessarily going to resonate with them because they're not going to get it, you know? And, and like the way that unions, like if, if there are more widespread unions in the game industry, which hopefully there are in the future, like um, it's not going to look like, you know, unions of the past, like it's, it's going to be its own thing and it's going to be unique to the game industry. So we have to like talk about it and think about it in that way. Um, but yeah, like honestly, like the the whole point was just to do something to get to get it out there to force people to think about it. And like the the thing with getting a lot of people to show up to that roundtable was forcing the director of the IGDA to look at all these people in the face and like be like these are real people. They're not just like you know some agitating kids or whatever. They're not you know just like some outsiders. A lot of these people have worked in the industry and like worked for a long time. Um, so I think that that was really important. And, um, I don't know, like I, I trying like to stay, um, like more uh, pragmatic and narrowly focused about these things and just try and do things that we can accomplish and not take on too many promises. But like the whole point with game workers unite, uh, which is the name of the group, um, was to uh, start a conversation and like have it be because it's like a taboo conversation. Like people even talking about it in in games and in events like GDC. Like I had a friend who went. There was a talk about uh, you know do workers in the game industry want unions in like in at GDC in like 2015, like three years ago. And one of my friends went to it and he said that the rooms was like three fourths of the way empty huh. and like apparently in the in the in the talk they said that like 64 percent of uh of workers in the game industry that they polled said that they wanted a union but they didn't know how to start you know they had no idea where to start and i think we're still in that place right now because like i had some people message me and be like i want to join the game developers union and i'm like no we're we're not a union like we did not (laughs) like we're just like so would i (laughs) Yeah, like the whole point is to start a conversation um, and like it's going to be a long term fight. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to be in the form of like Game Workers Unite or something else. But like uh, it's 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 uh, the Pandora's box has been opened now, basically. So, I mean, can you so you actually brought something up before that? I think, uh, you know, this seems like a good time to expand upon it. I mean, it seems like you keep saying about and I, I, I very much sympathize with it. And I think it's it's such it's such a, a good thing to worry about and such a hard thing to worry about, which is overpromising um, and like sort of uh, taking on too much, saying you're going to do too much, uh, something that I, I am very much guilty of um, myself. But that also goes along with something that is uh, very much part of game development circles, which is like, uh, for lack of a better word, fetishization of um, work. Like the idea that work is mm-hmm. is good on its own, that you should always be working hard, that you should be working yourself to death, um, that like poverty and like and um, and strife while working on games is its own reward. Um, I mean, does that? Do you think that plays into the 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 difficulty of unionization in in gaming? Do you think that that's something like 
the the stigma against being seen as like not hardworking enough to be in the industry. Totally. I mean, that's a huge problem. I mean, you look at something like Indie Game the movie and it's all like stories of like people being like, my life is falling apart, but I have this passion for games and I'm going to make it. And of course, like that movie makes it seem justified because they all made a bunch of money, you know, but most people who are not in documentaries, you know, don't. So I don't know, like, I think the other thing is, like, it's just a societal problem. I I think our obsession with work is, like, a cultural problem in general. I don't think it's just games, but games are a big manifestation of it. But I I think, like, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about delegitimizing suffering. Like, people don't know that they can ask for more. Like, people don't know that they can say, like, I want to only work 40 hours a week or maybe even less. Um, (laughs) Like, they don't know that they can make those demands because things have been normalized to such a degree that they think that that's just how it is. And that idea that, like, oh, people who did things before me, like, they did it and, like, they made good games, so... So I'm, you know, so things must be okay. Like, how did people make it work before? But the thing is, like, the industries like this are inherently unstable. They inherently depend upon exploitation. And the fact that they are able to exist really depends on that. So, like, it's not the suffering that creates this. In fact, it just makes it worse most of the time. It makes things more unstable. And if if you've had any sort of first hand experience with this stuff you can see that pretty easily um and that's the thing like i I just like want people to know that they can ask for more and that they don't have to suffer doing what they what they love i mean like one of my favorite quotes is um from david lynch where he it's he has that book about meditation called uh catching the big fish um (laughs) But like one thing he t- he talks about was like uh, suffering doesn't make art better. It doesn't make creative work better. It it probably just makes it worse, and it makes it harder for you to like do stuff. Like it just makes yeah. it harder to function as a human being. But like we have this idea that it is necessary, and it just it fundamentally isn't. Like it isn't. Yeah, and it's 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 these it's. I mean, I, I can't help but think about the connections between this and academia uh, because, of course, that was sort of my big fish um, in, in trying to to get to. And there is like I, I recently there was recently a job where a job opening that someone sent me um, a suite of them to send it to me. I have no problem with them sending me the job opening. But um, someone I work with sent me this job opening and it was for a community college. And I looked into it and it was a five five load. Um which would mean, and you're teaching now, so you sort of understand uh, the labor there. Uh, you teach five classes per semester, um, so you ten classes Jesus. a year. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, they wanted you to have, um, they wanted you to be involved in campus life um, and on oh, like committees God. and do professional development. Um, and then also, most of them would just be composition courses. And I looked up the salary on Glassdoor, and it was something like forty-five to fifty thousand dollars. And it was it was the first time in my life that I looked at a job in academia, and and you know part of this is because the podcast is is doing better, and part of it's because I've just applied to all these jobs and not getting any gotten any leeway, and I've started thinking about it differently as I you know bounced off the industry so much. But it was the first job I looked at, and I I said you know I'm my labor and my ability to teach is worth more than that, like that 
that labor that I would be giving out there, the the amount of time I'd be working and not being around my family and not be not doing things that I'm sort of passionate about, it's not worth that. And that's such a in academia, that's such a, a a thing you're not supposed to do. Like you're not supposed to say like, I don't know, I, this job doesn't really pay enough. I don't want to take it. Um, and that's messed up. Like it's messed up to say like, oh, it's messed up that in gaming you're supposed to say, well, you know, you're not you're not meant to complain about the amount of work. You're not meant to sort of ask for, as you say, ask for more. Uh, it's seen as a stigma. Well, totally. And I think like people should be doing this, like not just in the in the game industry, but like in any industry, because it's 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 fucked up. And and we should be asking for for more because we deserve more. And like that, I that idea, like there are more most people don't really like the way that these things work, but they do it because they feel like they have to do it. So knowing that you don't knowing that there's something there that is saying that like you don't actually have to do this you can be part of something else and you can you can push back against this you know you can make demands you're in a position to do that like providing that outlet i think is so freaking important and like that's going to be a big like societal issue that we need to like to to overcome but like mm. the, the other part of it is um in game development there's one thing that's really normalized called crunch which is basically you know um, usually, uh, in relation to like the end of a project where, uh, you're forced to work overtime, usually unpaid overtime sure. or, or, you know, not there, you don't get overtime pay for it. Um, and you know, 60, 80 hours, usually like 80, hundred hours a week. Um, and that kind of thing is like sort of lionized as like this, like community building, team building exercise, um, in game culture. I mean, and there's been some pushback, um, there, uh, uh, this person, uh, Tanya short created like a petition against crunch recently. So, um, oh, it's been a conversation. Yeah. It's been a conversation that's been around for, for, for a while and has come back up, um, in the last year or so. But, um, the thing is like people think that like, you know, you, people, people think that you work 80 hours a week or whatever. That means like, you know, equals 80 hours of work output, twice the amount of work output that if you worked 40 hours a week, people think that like, that's the way that human beings work, but like people yeah. don't work that way. No, like, it's, the mo- it's an unbelievable amount of work. The more you work doesn't equal more productivity at all. No, like, that's, that's right. It's really important to, and like, and in fact that you, it can like, it's, it's really easy to like end up losing the focus on the big picture and like, you know, sort of fiddling around on things and just wasting your time. Um, and jobs like that encourage you to do that because it's like, well, I'm going to be here anyway, so I might as well, like, you know, fuck around or, like... Yeah. Or p- people are so dissociated that they just can't, like, think clearly because they're working so much, they're not getting enough sleep, they're not, like, seeing their freaking families or, like, you know, uh, s- seeing their friends outside of work or whatever. So, like, that's, like... I don't know. People are so obsessed with like fucking metrics and stuff. Oh God. This idea that, yeah, this idea that like somehow if you work double the amount, then that means double the amount of productivity. And it's like human beings just do not work that way. It's not even like, it's not even valid to think about it that way. And it just treats everyone does work. Yeah. And it just treats workers as expendable. And that's like what we have to like push back against. Yeah. I think that's, 
I think that's extremely well said. I actually don't want to dilute that at all. That's really wonderful. Um, well, Liz, I, this has been really great. Is there anything that you feel we we've left out? This has been like the, the most thoroughgoing and condensed version of, uh, uh, you know, why unionization is necessary and how it's going down at, um, or how it did go down at GDC and how it is continually going down, um, with, uh, with the, um, the, the game workers unite, uh, is there anything you feel like we've left out? Well, I think one thing that it's important to remember is that like our goal is to get everyone involved in one way or another. Like I, I think one goal is to, um, have an organization or, you know, in the future, or at least this is something that I've been thinking about and saying to some people in the press and whatever, um, is to have an organization that is sort of like the IGDA, but is actually functions to as a union or to at, le- at the very least to advocate for unions where there are local chapters um, that do a lot of different things and uh, sort of provide a community that is much needed in games. Um, but also, like, I, th- I think it's important to to understand that, like, like none of us are like who are working on this, like have some sort of magical insight or awareness to this thing. Like these are right. things that everyone and anyone can and should participate in. And they're not going to be generated by one or two people. If they're going to, if, if these things are going to happen, they're going to happen across all sort of aspects of, of society and all kinds of different people. And it doesn't really matter where you're coming from it at, um, as long as you have some sort of shared goal or shared interest. So it like, you can be involved and you should be involved basically, (laughs) even if, you know, even if like you can't, you can't use your real name or, you know, whatever, there are still small ways to get involved. And, um, also we have a website, it's gameworkers.org. Um, there's also a Twitter account, but yeah, I, I think that I just encourage like people like game workers is just one, uh, way to start this conversation, but it, this is going to be a broader and longer term conversation. And, and it, if it's going to work at all, the effort needs to be spread, spread out to as many people as possible. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I think that's, I think that's something that is so important and often so forgotten in, um, in leftist discourse, which is, um, it, it's everything like it has to be, you know, not, not in a way that makes it overwhelming, not in a way that makes it like, you know, demanding in the opposite direction where it's like, well, did you not consider this? Then you must not be left enough. Um, but one of those things where like, it really does suffuse, um, every element of life, this, this sort of like, um, exploitation, uh, and, and in fact, like it's important to combat it in every element of life. It's just about arguing for like basic fucking rights. <laughs> yeah, though that too. That's <laughs> that's a that's a good distillation. I I I I'll admit I'm still uh I'm I'm always at heart an academic, so I, I um obfuscate things. Um yes, arguing for basic rights in every single element of life is uh that's a good way of saying it. Well, thank you so much. Uh please come back again. I know we were actually talking about having you on to talk like about not union stuff before. Uh, so I don't want to forget about that. I think, I think I I would love to have you back, um, to talk about that soon. Um, uh, where can people find you online? Um, so my Twitter is at E L L A G U R O. Um, and I also have a website. I mean, it's linked on my Twitter. Um, I don't know. I 
have a I haven't really been updating my blog. I I also have a Patreon and I've been doing a podcast called uh Beyond the Filter. Um it's not just about video games, although I've had some video games people on there. I've had um uh, somebody that I know who's a big uh, speedrunner on there. Her, uh, her name is Narcissa Wright. And um, I had um, uh, this guy, Frank Cifaldi, who does uh, video game preservation on there recently. Oh, fascinating. Um, yeah, which I, I think is a really fascinating. And he's a really, he's a really cool guy. I really like him. So, um, and he's been around games for forever. Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely recommend uh, checking that out. It It's usually linked in my... Um, you know, it's usually one of my pinned tweets should should link to it, but um, but yeah. So and, and it's patreon.com slash e l l a g u r o. But yeah. Anyway, and yeah. Submit submit to submit to Liz's Patreon. I think like you know, um, having a bit of the Patreon life myself these days, it's a um, it, it's its own gig economy, but in a in a much sort of gentler way. Um, maybe. If if you're one of the lucky ones, like I was lucky to start a Patreon pretty early on, which is why I have a decent amount of patrons. Yeah, same here. Um, and it's also tough. like, yeah, it's it's real tough, and I I don't update as frequently as other people, but I I try and like at least be frequent enough, you know. <laughs> but I don't know. It's it's been really crucial for me. It's been like my my baseline for so many things. Good, and, you know. It's why why. I, I don't know. It's it's a cause of insanity in some ways, but it's also like why I've been able to like you know be very out in the open and like say what I'm thinking and not worry about uh, how that's going to affect my employment. <laughs> very good point. Well, thanks so much, and and really do uh, come back soon, um, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you around. Thank you. Bye. Bye.